as we come to the last week of our series entitled, A Live Dog is Better Than a Dead Lion, found in Ecclesiastics, really the, the, the principle of the scripture is this, that even though that the dog is nowhere close to the nobility of the lion, when, the, when there's a dead lion, a live dog is better. So what I, the whole part is, as long as you're breathing, you have hope. And so as we're progressing as Christians, and we're going through this journey in this life, and we, we get these different things that come into our life, that we're equipped to go further and farther than we could without God and without the Word of God in our life. So this morning, I want you to see, we're going to be talking in First Chronicles, uh, just in the end of the, the book of First Chronicles, uh, mainly in verse, or chapter 28. But this is a story uh, that I'm going to title, Handing on the Torch. You know, Solomon is David's son, and this is the very last words that David is kind of being recorded before he passes away. And some of the last words, he's speaking to Solomon, his son, and, and I kind of picture it maybe by his bedside, and, and he begins to see all these different people that are there, military officials and... and uh, advisors and maybe generals and and all of a sudden every time he sees a face it brings back history have you ever been there before where maybe you've seen somebody and and there's a story that goes with that face and 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 that person and maybe their relationship with somebody that's in your family and here's David at the end of his life and he begins to teach Solomon some things because of his experience now again in the eight to great the matter of fact Todd and Heather Mayo both were teachers and they taught one habit of putting first things first and the other one think with the end in mind and and really what those are talking about is not just living every day of flipping a coin saying well I don't know what's going to happen today but actually you think with the end in mind what is it that you would say as your last words and maybe what would you like to be said at your funeral that that you and your life represented while you were here in this generation. Today, I want to preach a message that is deeper maybe than a lot. And what I mean by that is, if you take it as deeper, then you'll go deeper with me. If not, I'm I'm talking, it's not just, you know, a conversation of saying, well, how you doing? The weather good? Yeah, okay, see ya. This is a kind of a, maybe a, a, the sermon, maybe, tell, tell me your greatest failure. Tell me some of your biggest frustrations that you've had in your life. And sometimes in our society, we don't want to go deep. But this morning, if you'll go deep, you'll, you'll, you'll realize something. And, and you'll maybe think with the end in mind, here's David, and he's lived his whole life, and he's experienced, man, what a life. And how can we say that is because there's more recorded about David than anybody else pretty much in especially in the Old Testament. And the takeaway this morning is not just what you take away from today, but what is it that you want to, listen to this, what is it that you want to take away from this life? That's deep. See, we all go through times when we search for significance. And what is the contribution that we're given to the world that we're living in and the generation that we're living in? And what is our purpose? See, we realize, don't you, that most people don't do anything that they're not pushed or that they're not made to. 
Well, you know, you use kind of the thought pattern that nobody reads a book after high school because there's no teacher anymore telling us to. You, you've got to personally make that decision on your own part. And, and that's what I appreciate about you that are here this morning, that not only are you breathing and you got hope, but that you're actually here and nobody made you. It's a free choice on your part. Nobody pushed you, but, but in life, when we think about the search for significance, we, we get to the place in our life, and, and some of us get a little bit, have to wait until we get a little bit older to really realize, what is it that we're going to leave? But that doesn't mean you have to be 75, 105, you know, whatever years of age until you start thinking that. You can think that when you're 12. What am I going to do that's going to leave a mark on the society that, or the world that I live in? Here, here's David, and, and David has lived a long life, really, for this time of, in history. And he looks back on his life, and he's a pusher of himself. He's wanting to conquer more land, and he's gotten to a place where really he looks back on, I mean, just think of the adrenaline that went through his body. You know, we think about skydiving or, you know, running with the bulls, and the adrenaline is just Can you imagine facing down Goliath? Can you imagine running from Saul? When he's throwing spears at you and he wants to kill you and you're going from cave to cave. The experience of coming home from a battle and looking and your whole town has been burned down. And all your women of all your group and all the children, all your position have been stolen. And then you have the story of you chased them down and conquered them and brought everybody. I mean, he has a whole life of stories. It would be able to trump anybody at the dinner table. Somebody says, you know, I had four wisdom teeth taken out. You go, well, let me tell you, I chased down some bandits at, you know, Trump at the store, whatever it is. Your little four wisdom teeth story. David's experienced it. And now later in his life, he's been chased by his son to kill him. His son wants to kill him, and he's been chased for his life, and his son has been killed. Another story, another story, another story. Now, today we get to a place, and he's towards the end of his life, and I, I picture David kind of missing some of that adrenaline and sitting around the palace and thinking, what am I going to do next? What, what's the significance that I'm going to leave? And he begins to think, you know what? We've done a lot. I've done a lot. When I, when I became king, we were not that big and it wasn't that great. And he chooses to do something that God had told him not to do, but he's not as hungry as he was earlier in life when he's walking out on a battlefield to face a giant when everybody else is scared. He's at a point of prosperity in his life. He's in the palace. He's got pretty much everything that he needs, but almost everything that he wants. And the thought comes up that he's going to count all the fighting men of the country. Not the army, but every man that is of age that could go out to battle. His advisors come around him and say, no, 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 don't do that. And the reason was an, an opinion. It was God told them, don't build up your wealth or all this stuff in your army. Don't, because you'll put your dependence on your army instead of me. David says to his advisors, 
pretty much, we're going to do it. They send out people and they count. They kind of do a a census throughout the land and they, they find out all the fighting men and they bring it back to David only to hear the prophet of God come to David and said, you messed up. You're trying in a prosperous time to be self-dependent on yourself. And out of pride, here's David, and he's looking for a venue to, to fill that void of significance. And he says, if I could find out how great my army was, really all the world would know, and so would I, how big and how bad we really are. I think that we all realize that our choices have consequences, good and bad. And the prophet comes to David and he says, David, you, you made a mistake. And David begins to realize it. What did I do? Now, again, when you hear this, you almost think that God is mean, but he, he's a God of mercy. And he says, the prophet says, God will give you three choices. How you're going to suffer the punishment for what you did. He says this. You can choose three years of famine. Can, can, you're talking about three years of it, maybe not raining, no crops, and horrible three years? No. I don't want that. He says, or three months of being swept away before your enemies with the swords overtaking you. No, I don't want that either. Are you kidding me? That's what I did with Saul. That's what happened with Absalom, my son chasing me. I, I don't want that. So... If you're doing the math, there's only one left. And that last option is, or three days of the sword of the Lord, days of plague in the land with the angel of the Lord ravaging every part of Israel. Decide. And David says, I'm in deep distress. I want you to hear that. Here's a man that's searching for significance. Out of his pride, he's done something that now in retrospect, he's saying, ah, I just messed up. He says, let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great, but do not let me fall into human hands. Anybody with David on that? Well, let me just tell you this. Can I, can, this is totally off the subject, but it's a great time to put this in as a teaching moment. Be careful who you share your testimony with. God, God has delivered us from sin in our life and our past do you know that God will forgive you, but sometimes man don't? He knows how God works. You're a merciful God. So let me ask you this. Is the question that I want you to see is, so David's pride has again moved him in the wrong direction. We know that it, the pride of, of thinking that he's bigger and badder than anybody else caused him to have an affair with Bathsheba. We know his pride in covering it up killed her husband, Uriah. And, and, and you look throughout all his search for significance and, and trying to fill that void. And, and the question is this. Here's his pride and he's moving him in the wrong direction. How does he learn from his mistake and then change his path to the right path? Again, he wants significance, but his pride keeps getting in the way. Now, now the next portion I could read to you, but I, I want to summarize it in the fact of then the actual sentence is carried out, three days of plague. Now, when you read this, you go, wow, that's pretty... But 
I want you that are feelers, and we're going deeper today. You that are feelers, I want you to think about it. And you that are intellectuals that want to think about it, I want you to feel it so that you get the full picture. Because of his choices, remember with the choice of Bathsheba, it affected him greatly, of course, in Bathsheba and Uriah, but there was a small circle of people that really were affected to some extent. I mean, I know that it bubbled over even into Absalom's rebellion in the Civil War that killed thousands. But this one in particular, the plague, three days of plague goes through the land, and as it said, the angel of the Lord comes through the, the land wiping out. Do you know how many people died? 70,000 men. And the word men is put in there. I don't know if they're trying to say that it's men but not women. So who knows? A lot of times when it says that, you can even multiply it by three. Can we just sum it up that we're all in agreement that there's a lot of people that died? In this situation that we're in today, sitting in this church, if you didn't die, somebody in your family died or somebody that you knew died. This is horrible. Pride has caused him again to try to feel significant by doing something that was out of pride that, that put him in the wrong direction. How was he going to get back to the right direction? Now, now listen to this. In First Chronicles 28 is the story. It'll end the story, but this is earlier because I want you to see what happens. David, again, is visited by the prophet, and the prophet says this. God has told you to go to Aaronal. I'm going to call him Aaronal. His house, his threshing floor, where he is working, and he wants you to build an altar to sacrifice. So David, in obedience, gets up and goes, uh, and, and he says to Aaronal, he says, I, wanna, I want this property to build an altar on. Now, Aaronal, th this is a great part of being a believer that we, we can see David's life, that we can compare, because Aaronal is a Jebusite. That means that the Jebusites were in Jerusalem before the Israelites could even conquer it. David's the one that ends up conquering and setting up his capital. But here's the interesting part is maybe he's owned this for his whole life and his parents' life and his grandparents' life. Who knows? But he owns it now. And when David comes on the scene and says, I want this land, he goes, are you kidding me? You want to put a sacrifice on my property? He says, here, take the whole thing for yourself. He says, you know, I've been, it's a threshing floor. You know, they'd throw up and the chaff would blow off from the wheat and all that. And the wheat. He says, I want you to take the wheat as an offering, as a burnt offering. I want you to use the oxen and, and sacrifice the oxen, the wood for the plows or the wood for the, the, the plowing and, and the, uh, the yoke, whatever that's on the ox. I want you to use it for the wood for the sacrifice. And I, I'm going to give it all to you. Now, in our society, we go, score, freebie, freebie. Woohoo! It's like me giving Brianna $100. Put that in the offering. She'd be like, score, it's not my 100, but I got 100. Did everybody say I got 100? Put it in. But here's what happened David's in a rough spot. And he's been offered this place for free as a sacrificing, you know, an altar to be built. And he says, no, uh uh. No, it don't work that way with me. 
He says, I'm not going to take anything from you and offer it to my God. Matter of fact, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to offer God anything that it doesn't cost me. Anything that is given to us free, not always, but a lot of times we take it as very low value. And David realizes this. He says, I'm going to pay you top price for that land. He pays Aaron all. He, he offers a sacrifice to God. And the angel of the Lord stops when he gets to Jerusalem. The plague is over. 70,000 men, though, have died. Horrible situation. And he begins, it seems like to me, to begins to thank God. Again, I've experienced a lot of stuff in my life, but, but I want to I leave a mark on the world before I leave. Now, if you know anything about David and the kings that follow, David is the standard. He's the trendsetter that all the other kings will be compared to. This king did good like his father David. Or this king did not do good like David did. But David is a, is a pusher. I mean, he's taking initiative. So now let's go back to some last words. David is there, maybe on his dying bed. Maybe he's just talking as an older man to a congregation. And, and there's his son Solomon that is a very young man. Very young. Maybe he's a young boy. And he's talking to the generals and the advisors and all these people that have history with him. That have gone through battles with him and, and they've seen his children being born and, and they've seen the bad when he went through with Bishop. Some of them have seen those things. And now, here's his last words. I want you to see what is the subject that always comes to the front? This morning, as we end the series, I want you to take it to heart. As he's looking at each one of those faces that brings back history and, and memories. In verse 2, it says this. David desired with all his heart to build the temple house of God. It still was an unfulfilled desire that, that he wanted. It was a frustration of an ambition that God said, no, you're not going to build my temple. All the things that you have done in your life, you're right spot on, but that job isn't for you. You know, they say that the number one need, they, you know, the expert. They, they say the number one need in ladies, women, in marriage is security. And probably doesn't have to be just in marriage. Now, we know that most people think the number one desire of men is sex. <laughs> Can we say that in church? You guys looked awful. <laughs> okay, good. You're with me. Broke the tension there a little bit. But I think it goes deeper than just sex. And I think it's more the hero complex of men. They want to feel needed in their marriage. They want to know that they are here and they're making a difference in their family. And, and here's David and, 
he realizes that even though God said, I'm going to give you the promised land, he said, make sure that those people that are in the promised land don't get inside of you. Because they were worshiping all kinds of idols and doing all kinds of craziness and all these bad things. And so God said, I am giving you a way that's not going to be like their way. They have come into the promised land and they've gone through the judges. They've gone through Saul. And now David comes and he again is an initiator. He is a conqueror. He's a pusher. He sees things that other people go, yeah, yeah, yeah. He sees, here's the most important thing, is our people need a place of worship, a center location, that, that all of a sudden that decision of building a temple will be a ripple effect all through our country. That our God, one God, remember the, the people that were there had all these different gods. What's that? That's the speaker God that amplifies. You know, that's the, that's the music God. I mean, they just went crazy. But David, no, we, we serve the true God. And if we create a place of worship, it'll be a ripple effect on generation after generation to come. Nowhere do we see that it's a selfish ambition of David to build a temple for his own glory. But it's continually said that he's doing it for the glory of God. But it's a disappointment. Now here's, here's where I'm going to turn because... I want you to see this turn because when God has told him no, what does he do? Seemingly, the first part of this message. He's trying to then search for significance in other places to fill that void. God wanted to do that and, and you didn't let me. But here's where he is. Now, I want you to see this. Because again, as we go deep, I'm going to say something and I want you to be ready. When God told him, no, you're not to build the temple. If you look at chapter 22, verse 5, David goes immediately as response in making all the preparations necessary for the temple to be built under Solomon. This morning, I want you to hear something that's going to be deep. Ready? I want, I want some of you to process because it takes you process. You might get it tomorrow and go, all right. All right, all right, all right. But some of you will get it. Look, watch this. When we come to Christ, as Romans 12 says, that be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might know God's will. A transformed mind realizes that there's times that God wants to work through you and not just for you. That's about as deep as I go and you guys didn't respond very good. Can I say it again? The renewed mind is aware that there's times that God wants to work through us and he works for us at times, but he wants to work through us in other times. David gets this revelation and it revolutionizes his life. Revolutionized, yeah. He changes his life. 
he realizes, God, you're telling me that I won't build the temple, but God, you're going to use me to build the temple. I can live with that. And if it isn't the things that David did, he bought the land, that, that threshing floor that was going to be given to him. Do you realize that piece of ground has been fought over different religions for centuries? The Christians, the Jews, and the Muslims all think of that temple mount as it. He, he, he buys the land and he begins to acquire the resources to build the temple. Now, now think about this. In our lives, when we get to that place when we're aware that God is able to work through us and not just for us, all of a sudden we become bigger than the problem. We begin to see that we might not reap, but we can sow for the next generation. We might not water, but we can plant. You can clear the ground for the building and get it ready for the next generation. You can provide the materials. You can get the plans ready. You can buy the site. You can organize the skillful workmen that's going to build it. You can charge your son to build the temple. And you realize that it wouldn't have been done under your son, if it wasn't for you setting the ground, setting it in place. David in First Chronicles 22 says, Now, my son, the Lord be with you. Now, now watch this. These are his last words to his son. These are the last words. He'll be with you. And may you have success and build the house of the Lord your God, as he said you would. May the Lord give you discretion and understanding when he puts you in command over Israel so that you may keep the laws of the Lord your God. Then you will have success if you are careful to observe the decrees and laws that the Lord gave Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. I've taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord. Did you hear the sacrifice? I've taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord. A hundred thousand. And he goes into all the different things. And then after he lists, where I'm going to list him in a minute, at, at the end of that little paragraph there, he says, Then David ordered all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon. This morning, we all realize that if God chooses not to come back in the rapture, at the second coming, before we have lived our lives, that we're going to die, right? Somebody's going, really? When you're 12, 13, 14, you think you're going to live forever. You remember that time? Here's what we do as believers that we're pouring into the next generation as we're getting older so that there is a new generation, that it's not forgotten. This morning, Several mornings ago, it's funny, uh, Austin and Christian. Do you know those two young men? Austin's over here in the red. Christian, where are you? He's working in children's church. Over. He, they get here early in the morning. And I get here every morning, uh, Sunday morning, and uh, kind of preach the first time to nobody. Wonderful, wonderful service. The response is imminent. Anyway, so I preach it. And, and usually the worship team gets here around 8 o'clock, and, and they know that I'm in here, so they're kind of waiting their cars until 8, then they come in. Not those guys. They, they've been waiting for, since, who knows, probably last Sunday afternoon for church. 
and they're beating on the door at 7.30, and they're going, hey, I'm not even into my introduction yet, practically, and they're like, could we come in? <laughs> well, I'm preaching. That's all right. Can we come in? Yeah, come on in. This morning, I want to show you a picture. I'm going down to Starbucks, as I do every Sunday morning, and, uh, and you know, they're here, of course, and do we have that slide of Christian? And he says, can I go with you, pastor, to Starbucks? So I, I just had a hood. I said, I got to take that picture. Because cause he's like this. He, he's he's kind of, so, so where are you going? Where are you going? I said, well, I'm, I'm going to run down here, you know, and get a cup of coffee at Starbucks. When, when, when are you going to go? I said, well, right now. Did, did you want to go? Yes, I did. I said, did, do you want anything? I'd like a glazed donut, you know, one of those that's glazed. I said, I don't think they have, oh yeah, they have the Starbucks. <laughs> I had an extra pair of sunglasses and I said, have you ever tried these? And he put them on, oh, look at the world, it's blue. <laughs> Dude, if you know Christian, and I ask, I said, Christian, you ask more questions he said, what's that button for right there on your car? Well, does that make it go up and down? What, what's that one right there? Did, how do you turn on that? And I said, well, I think I'm going to get a Bluetooth little speaker. Why would you get a Bluetooth if you don't do that? You know? And I'm going, well, I could go. And I'm thinking, I'm arguing with Christian over a Bluetooth. <laughs> Whoa! And I said, Christian, how, how long have you been going to church? And he told me, and I said, do you feel like you've learned a lot? He said, oh my goodness, yes. Because he's asking questions and people in our church are responding with answers. Revelation in his life, his eyes open up. A new generation is beginning to say, hey, hey, hey. Some of the things that those people down there at the church have, I, I want. See, sometimes the older we get, we think that next generation that is so bizarre. I mean, I look at Mark with a man bun, and they used to call it a ponytail when I was growing up. <laughs> Different, bizarre. No, get over there. Huh? You've you seen them with the, the poverty jeans, I call them, you know, the, with the uh, holes. You paid for holes in that? My mom wouldn't send me to school with holes in my pants. Now there's kind of still there. Bizarre. And it's typical from an older generation to go, huh, huh, you stay over there. Can I go to Starbucks? No. Got to have a little me time. And the thing that I know, and just the whole thought of pouring into the next generation, that you're not going to see the results. You're not going to see the finished product of when they're my age. Here's what David does. First of all, let me give you these four quick things. First of all, he looks at his son in the presence of all these advisors, all these generals, and he says this to his son. First of all, know the God of your father. And that's, well, he should. But Solomon at night could have heard his father in the next room praying. He saw his son, or he saw his father modeling what his belief system was. Maybe he saw him at the desk writing the Psalms. 
Maybe he saw him, you know, as in a worship spot where he's leading the worship at a certain point. Guys, come on in here, let's worship. Solomon's looking in going, wow. He says, know the God of your father. It's not, he's not some mysterious God. You know how I love my God in that fear God. Modeling. The second thing is he, he tells his son, serve God. You know, there's something here because it's a heart issue what he's talking about. Just to serve God, you know, Isaiah put it this way, is you need to be willing and obedient and then you will eat or you will experience the good things of the land. It's a heart issue. And when he tells his son Solomon, serve God, he said, do it wholeheartedly. Because the builder can build the temple and it can be beautiful, but God looks at the heart. And see, some of us old people know that because we've been trying to find significance in all these things and we realize David was a man after God's own heart, which means that he saw things and did things as, as God would. I mean, that, his heart was God's heart. The third thing is, he says, seek the Lord and he will be found by you or forsake him and he will reject you. See, see, what he's saying is, I'm not going to abdicate my parenting responsibility to the teacher at school. I hope they tell you something about God down there. Or the youth ministers, you know, maybe they'll tell you something and it'll change your life. I'm going to just kind of delegate that responsibility. No, David said, uh-uh. I want you to realize how important it is. See, David is putting a choice before a young man that, that is going to build the temple, but he says, Solomon, I encourage you to love God. It's your choice. Now, now realize that sometimes we take on, hear me parents, we take on the consequences of our children not going the way that we desired them to go. We take on that, and that's not for you. Every person has the choice. Solomon will eventually get away from God we believe there's a possibility that he got back with God in a relationship later in life, but he made a choice not to do what God had, or what his father had encouraged him to do. But that was not David's choice. Seek the Lord, and he'll be found. Then the last thing he says, finally, he says, be courageous and do the work. Again, it goes back to the heart of the builder. You're going to do life, but let me tell you, there's a time when you're going to have all these advisors around you, or in our case, all this peer pressure around you that's going to try to get you away from the things of God. And, and if you grew up in a society, which I know you did, just like me, and, and even the young people, there's people that are ready to go, see, that person messed up, you can't do it either, or look at that. And, and David is saying to his son, be courageous. You're going to get in situations where you're going to go, you know what, I don't know if I can do this. Be courageous. Do the work. David's final words are such a blessing and encouragement to the next generation. 
See, I would have loved to have seen this. He says, David, I would have loved to have been the one building. I would have been the one that would have made the ripple effect on generations to come to build the great temple. You know what the temple is called? The temple of Solomon. Not the temple of David. It's the temple of God, but it is referred to as the temple of Solomon that he built. And this morning, as parents, as we search for significance, we want the ch- our children to exceed us. If you're like me, I want my children's floor to be my ceiling. I want them to go further. And they realize that they're standing on their father's shoulders. And I'm encouraging them to go further with God than I chose to. And at this point, David gets it. And he gets the significance that he's leaving an experience behind for the next generation to build on. And, and watch this. This is the cost that he did. I think there's a little feedback in a microphone if you want to cut that off. But I want you to see, here's David, and in chapter 29, I just want to sum this up. Look at this. I want you to see this. Mark, can you come up? I think just turn this off. Do you know how to turn that off? Is there a doctor in the house? No, I'm kidding. Push the button. All right. (laughs) There it is. I'm not going to miss up this last conclusion point. David has all the people around him and he begins to list what he is going to give. Watch this. Do you think that he gave a bag of coins? You would be wrong. David gave 113 tons of gold. He gave 214 tons of silver besides precious stones and stones to build. And he looks at his friends, these friends that aren't going to probably be there either, and says, guys, God's blessed us. And again, just looking at different faces of what they've been through, he says, now what are you going to do? And the people of God responded. They gave 188 tons of gold, 372 tons of silver, 679 tons of bronze, 3,775 tons of iron on top of precious stones and stones to build. And you say, why would all these warriors that conquered all those different countries in the promised land and all those different successes, why wouldn't they just give that to themselves and and to their children? They realized the significance it was going to be in generation after generation that would worship at that temple. This morning, when you begin to think, as David says, as it says about David thousands of years later in the book of Acts, Watch this little, just little blip that came up about David. In Acts 13, 36, it says, When David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. 
That'd be a pretty good epitaph, wouldn't it? To put on our gravestone. That when I served my purpose of what God had for me, I fell asleep. This morning, I want to encourage you. As you search for significance, that you realize that it's not just in what God is doing for you, but what God can do through you. And, and blessing the next generation as David did. And even in the spot where we're at with the, the coffee shop and the singles building, you know, you say, well, I don't, I'm not a single. I, 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 don't, I don't have any singles in my family. Let me just tell you this, that that coffee shop isn't just for singles. Because I eat it, drink at coffee shops. And I'm not single. There's going to be people that will come businessmen, business ladies, they'll be college students. And they'll say, you know what? What's, what's different about this place? It's a group of people that believed in the next generation by putting together something that was bigger than themselves, pouring into the lives of other people instead of just building something for them. And this morning I want you to begin praying about that. How is a church, not just a pastor, not just a staff member, not just a board member, not just a person that attends one or two times a year, but how can we as a church pass the torch to another generation?